Well, basic, it's good to be back. Most of you are like, what do you mean back? I've never seen this guy in my life. Well, about nine years ago, I was sitting in a lot of those different seats worshiping God at basic. I went to you and I, graduated in 2009. Anybody live in Norn Hall? Yeah. Norn Hall. What about room 289? I thought I was going to find my soulmate. Room 289 or Dancer Hall. I was an RA in Dancer Hall. Any Dancer Hall? Towers? Woo-woo! Awesome. I actually met my beautiful wife back there here at UNI, but she was in love with all the UNI basketball players, so she was a little distracted. It took her a little while, but she finally came around. Am I right, Brooke? No, I'm a lucky guy. Uh, uh, that's my wife, Brooke. I have a picture of my family. Uh, Chris Henley, some of you guys know Chris, he's the one who took the pictures. Uh, that's Brooke, my wife, and then Mickey in the middle, he's four, Mallory's giggling, she's two, she, and they're all back there, and then uh, Jack was born uh, a little over a week ago. Yeah! So f- feel free to welcome them, and uh, that's my family. Uh, a little bit about me, um, I used to work at Orchard Hill Church, did high school ministry, uh, for about five years and then uh, moved away for a little bit and did kind of like broader sense of ministry, uh, not just student ministry, but working in a church, kind of in a pastoral role. And about a couple months ago, I quit my job after nine years and I joined an organization called Youth for Christ. And I'm a chaplain at the Eldora State Training School for Young Men. If you don't know anything about the training school, it's, um, Chris, you could say more about it, but basically what I say is like, it's like prison for young men for 12 to 19. So if uh, kids have gone through different systems, different state systems to get help because they've uh, hurt some people, um, they've broken some laws, if they failed six to eight times in those places, it's the last stop. It's the last place. Or if they've committed a murder um, or a, a sexual offense, maybe they'll go there right away. And so uh, I've been doing that for a few months. I'm learning a lot. And that's just a little bit about uh, me And it sounds like you guys just started a series uh, last week. So if you weren't here last week, the series started Faith and Doubt. And the idea that they have told us um, is that that we want to communicate is that faith and doubt is like a dance. And just like a dance, uh, it's more artsy than it is science. And I was a biology major. Any biology majors in here? All right. Anybody in organic chemistry right now? If so, pray for them. They will need your prayers. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a science guy, but dancing, my wife and I actually took a dance, uh, did ballroom dancing here at UNI, and that's where she started falling in love with me, I bet. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But uh, dancing's more of like an art. It's, uh, there's steps and stuff, but it's kind of a feel, and, I, and it's hard because I think this is a little bit of the gray area. So like, I think faith and doubt go together, but it's like how much doubt? Because I've watched some friends walk away from Jesus because of doubt that they've had. And so I think that there, you can have too much doubt. I believe that God wants us to have faith. So, but, but I believe also that doubt kind of helps water our faith in the right amounts. And so how do we know how much doubt is too much doubt? Doubt's part of the human condition. If you didn't doubt, are you really even uh, paying attention in life? And so here we are. We're talking about faith and doubt. It's like a dance. They go together. It's messy, but it can be beautiful. Um, I believe that God meets us in our doubts, that he can handle our doubts. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about how God, uh, we need to go to God with our doubts. I think some of my friends that have walked away, they, they, the doubt got so heavy. Um, maybe you could put the picture up if you haven't deleted it, Carter. I didn't think I was going to go here, but I saw a field that I drive by out in the country. Uh, we get water a lot in this season. We've gotten a lot of water this season, and water is good for crops, but I noticed that there was some sitting water in the field after a while, and these soybeans just started dying. I think doubt's something where it's like if it sits way too long, and I don't know how long. 
But if it sits too long, it can start to destroy. But I think it's like water with crops where you need some, and that's where some good root systems can get developed when you face your doubts. So we're going to wrestle with this. And it's not going to be a clean-cut thing, but I want to at least encourage you tonight, those of you who have doubt, I'm talking to a specific group of people tonight. And if you don't fit this specific group, you can still listen because you probably know somebody in this group. This teaching tonight is for the people who feel inadequate. You who are sitting in your seat right now, you don't feel like you're good enough. The people who look in the mirror and hate what they see. I know some of you know these people, and I know some of you are sitting in these seats. And so this is very important. What is at stake about this? There's people that are counting on you to make it through it. There are people that need to be freed. Like, I'm at this training school, guys who are in prison. And I believe God's called me to, to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. If I didn't work through my doubt and I let that thing weigh me down, I, I think I would have missed my purpose. I think some of you are discovering, this colleges are trying to find what is my purpose in life, and there's a lot of doubt for some of you of, should I even really be here? Do I even belong? Do I have what it takes? I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. Is life even worth living? The world would be better without me. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story of how I got to a place like that. So, this is very important. And if you're not in that place right now, I know you know some people, and you need to encourage them like I had encouragers. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to go into a story, into God's story. We're going to talk about God's story. I'll talk about my story, and then I'm, I think I know where your story is. And this faith and doubt thing, I want to confess right now, I don't have it. Uh, they, don't, they didn't ask me to come and teach tonight because I have it figured out. I had a lie and doubts coming in tonight. I've had so much going on. We've moved. We've had a kid, and I have a voice inside my head. Brad, you have nothing to say to them tonight. You're not good enough. How do you know what they're going through? Lies. Those are lies. So I'm still wrestling with this, this faith and doubt thing, the thing, what I believe about myself, what I see in the mirror. I haven't completely figured it out, but we're going to go and fight this and wrestle with this together. So I'm going to give you a backstory. We're going to talk about the story of Moses. If you've never heard of Moses, he's like a giant in the Christian faith. When you read the New Testament, they talk about all the greats. Moses was one of them, and he was a normal guy. But uh, the setting was that God's people had been in slavery for about 430 years. And they got into that position, uh, even before that, God's people, uh, the, it takes place in Egypt, and there was going to be a famine, and one of God's people, uh, one of God's guys, Joseph, was in power, and God gave him dreams, and he was able to see that there was going to be a famine in the land, and uh, he kind of built some trust with the Pharaoh at the time, the king at the time, the king's like, I trust whatever happens, he's like, in the future, we're going to have a lot of food, and then we're not going to have any, and we need to make it through it. And so he had this dream, that he, uh, the king says, you're going to be in command, and I'm trusting you. And so the guy stored up, Joseph stored up all this food. And all God's people that were outside of Egypt started experiencing this famine. And luckily, Joseph was wise. He saved up the stuff in the bank. And so people were flocking to Egypt because that's where the food was. Now, the hard part is, and I know last week you guys talked about Abraham and how God made a promise to Abraham. Well, the promise is coming true. He said, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make the people great. There's going to be tons of them. These people were multiplying like rabbits, the God's people in Egypt. They started having babies and more babies and more babies. And the king started kind of getting worried. And generations had started passing. And finally, they're like, we need to start, like, 
these people might turn us over. They might revolt. We need to put them in slavery. And so these people, that's what they started doing. They started to work the Hebrews, the Israelites. They started making them slaves, making them do all the slave labor in order to control them. So for 430 years, these people have been in slavery. So generation, generation, generation. And it, it's, it, the problem kept on getting worse. People kept on multiplying, having babies, having babies. And then the king's like, you know what? We're going to start killing the firstborns. And so he makes this mandate, we're going to kill all the babies, all the, men, all the male babies that are born. And so uh, Moses is born during this time, this setting, this time of oppression. His mom thought that something special was about him, which I was always curious. I'm like, every mom thinks that their child is special. But anyhow, it says that she saw something special in Moses. She puts him in a basket, puts him down the river. I don't know why she would have abandoned him under the river. I have questions about that. But she says, she says sends her daughter to go watch the queen finds Moses, draws him out of the water. I think that's what the name Moses means. And he grows up as an Egyptian. He gets adopted. The queen that draws him out, she sees the girl, which is this Moses' sister, says, and she goes, hey, should I go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child? Queen goes, yeah, great idea. So she goes and gets her mom. So Moses got some breast milk from his own mom. Yep. I, did, I noticed that when I was studying this. I'd never noticed that before. So God provides this amazing opportunity where the family is still kind of connected. But this is where I noticed that Moses has an identity. He starts going through an identity crisis as he grows up. Because he grew up, I wouldn't say he grew up, but his roots were of one people. And yet he grows up with the, the, the oppressors. His people are getting oppressed, but he's growing up with the oppressors. He grows up in royalty and power. And I know that there's this tension, and he had an eye for injustice. When he gets a little bit older into the story, he sees that two people, uh, the Egyptians are treating the Hebrews unfairly, and he speaks out, and he ends up killing uh, one of the Egyptians and buries him in the sand because he saw something wrong going on. And then he calls out his own people, and his own people say, what, are you just going to kill us like you did that other person? And he knows it got out. They're going to find out that I didn't murder, and he runs away, he flees away. So now, he, so now Moses is in the desert. He meets a woman. He becomes a shepherd. It's amazing how God was already preparing him for him shepherding people. And then he has this encounter at this bush, this bush that's on fire as he's shepherding. And it's, a, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And he encounters God. And God says, I've, I've seen the misery of my people, that they're in slavery, and I have a task for you. I want you to go, and you're going to save these people. And you're going to go, and you're going to talk, and they're not going to listen to you, so you're going to experience failure, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to show, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to know it because you're going to see all these signs. And that's where we're at. So if you uh, got the Bibles handed out, Exodus chapter 3, 10 through 12. This is our scripture verse of the night. Chapter 3, 10 through 12. And this is God. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? But Moses, yeah, but Moses said to God, who am I that, the, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this mountain. So what's happening here? God has a task. He has a, he has a purpose for Moses. He says, I want you to go back. And there's going to be some failure, but you're going to know that I'm with you. Moses responds. He says, I feel inadequate. Who am I? I'm not the guy. 
I'm not good enough. And God responds, I'm going to be with you. And then it continues. He says, they're not going to listen to you. Um, I'm going to display my wonders, God says, and you're not going to leave empty-handed. When you leave, not only are you going to be free, but you're going to have all the gold, all the riches. I'm going to send you well off. And the story continues. Chapter 4. It says, Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not really appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the, Lord, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, who we talked about last week, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts it in his cloak. Moses pulls his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Lepr- uh, leprosy was a disease, an incurable disease. I would picture it today like some very extreme forms of cancer. Sticks his hand in, pulls it out. I'm going to die. And then God says, put your hand back in your cloak. So Moses puts his hand back into his cloak, and when he takes it out, it was restored. It was all better. And then the Lord said, if they do not believe or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second one. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So what's happening here? God's giving him some signs, some reassurance. He's reassuring Moses' doubts. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you some signs. And they might not believe you there, and they might not believe you there, but they're eventually going to believe what we're doing here together. And it continues. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses says, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. And God responds, he says, who gave man his mouth? Who made him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So God says, you got what it takes, Moses. I made you. You got what it takes. You're good enough. I'll be with you. I will help you. I made you. You can do it. But Moses says, oh, please, Lord, send someone else to do it. He's still, that doubt is heavy. It's building. It's, I don't want to do it. I'm not good enough. I'm overwhelmed. That's too big of a problem. I can't do it. I'm inadequate. And then uh, God responds, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. So God gets angry with him in his doubt a little bit, like, come on, trust me, trust me, trust me. But yet, I notice in this, God was patient with him in his doubt, and he met him in his doubt. He wasn't done with Moses. He met him in his doubt, and I'm, I've been curious. I'll tell my wife this. I don't, I've always looked at the story of like, yeah, Moses wasn't a good speaker. 
This time reading it through, I have questions like, what if he was a good speaker, but he just didn't believe he was a good speaker? And he believed it so much that it like, it became a reality. I don't know. I'm, I'll never know. But regardless of if, what, what, if he really was a bad speaker or not, God provided his brother to meet him halfway to get the job done. He provided. God met him in his doubt. And God met me in my self-doubt about nine years ago. How are we doing for time? Holy smokes. Okay. <laughs> when I started at the church, I fell into a, uh, the first year I fell into a depression. It's crazy when I see Stephen running uh, sound and slides back here because you were in uh, Sunday school when I first started. And you would have never known it. But I was depressed. I have a picture of my journal uh, writing it and you won't be able to see it. But it's, it's crazy. It's nine years ago to the, to the date almost. I mean, the... Uh, Looks like November 26, 2009, just fresh out of college, working at the church as a youth director, and I felt inadequate. I was going to read you some pages in here, but we don't have time, but I basically went through. God, I, I wrote the words, I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I'm the right guy for the job. I, I'm, I, I, I got so low where I was like, if I really am a Christian, I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't have these doubts, so guess what? I must not be a Christian. I must not know God. And I'm working at a church. And I'm, and I'm meeting with students. I'm going to Sunday school. And I'm wrestling with this inside. I'm fake. I'm looking at the mirror. I hate who I see. And it got so low that I didn't want to deal with those feelings anymore. And I knew, and I got to a low spot as depression would take you. I kept, it kept on being a cycle. I kept on thinking about that. But I had a journal entry and I should read at least this part of it. I can find it. I was writing in my journal, and I said, ever since I've had these questions and these feelings and this doubt, I've spent more time in God's word, more time in prayer and meditation, and overall have just earnestly seeked out the presence of God. I wish I could share more pages with you, and if you want, we can talk after, but I was in a low spot. I remember on the phone with my mom, and she said, she's a nurse, and she cares for me. She said, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And I said, yes. Our thoughts, what we're thinking, our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So what we're thinking about ourselves, those of us that feel inadequate right now, it's really important to pay attention to that because... We are moving, our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And thank God, by the grace of God, I leaned into him, even though I didn't feel him. I didn't feel him. I didn't feel it. But I kept going to him, asking questions, writing pages. I don't know if you're a writer or a journaler, but going to God, leaning into him, facing my doubt, facing God in my doubts. Facing God in my doubts and my questions. And for those of you who are maybe the doubts is like, uh, I don't even know if God's there. I, I can't feel him. I, I'm, I'm doubting even that. Then I'm, my encouragement to you is to lean into somebody that's sitting next to you that maybe has a strong faith right now. One, uh, the person in my life was Jeff Mickey. My son's named after him, Mickey. And when I didn't feel like God heard me, I was not only turning to God, but I was turning to someone else. It's almost like I was doing the middleman thing that like Moses had a middleman to go talk to the people and the people who wanted to talk to God, they didn't feel God in the desert. So they would talk to Aaron and they would talk to Moses. 
Some of us need a middleman right now because we don't even know if there's a God out there. I get it. Maybe that's where you're at. And maybe it's like, no, where I was. I knew that there was a God, but what, pardon me, but what the hell is going on with me? Who am I? And that shook me to my core. But I'll tell you, as much as I would never want to go back to these days, my faith, after getting through it all, got a lot deeper. It was like God held me really close. I didn't feel it, but we went through something hard together. And my faith got to a depth I never, I don't know if I would have got without it. And I don't think God did that to me. I don't think he made me depressed or made me have these doubts, but I wrestled with him. And that's where this faith and doubt goes together. And so my question for you is, how satisfied are you with your thought life right now about yourself? What do you see in the mirror? And is it true? God tells us we should focus our mind on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure. Is it true what you think about yourself? And if it isn't, it's not from God. Uh, there's going to be some bookmarks that we're going to hand out if you want. If you're in this place right now, you need to, be, need to be reminded. Maybe you need a staff like Moses had walking through the desert to remember some things that you don't feel, but you need to keep making a decision because I've learned about this. Doubt is a feeling, and faith a lot of the times is a choice. Uh, how much time do I have, Carter? Okay. Last story. My son, Mickey. Mickey, you might, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you're even a little older than you are now. Take him to the swimming pool. Okay? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We can't see it. He stands at the edge of the pool. I, as a father, I want him to jump because I know there's going to be some joy in that jump. But he, and I, and I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm asking him to jump because I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to build trust. I know I'm going to catch him and it's going to be fun. And Mickey's thinking, you're going to drop me. I'm going to drown. <laughs> and so there's this battle. And so I, and, and you know what? As a good father, I'm not stepping on the other side of the pool going jump across this whole pool. I'm getting close, but I want a gap. I'm saying jump, jump. You can trust me. And guess what? It is very real that he has fear. And it's very okay that he has fear. What I'm asking him to do is push through that fear a little bit. I'm not saying you can't have it, that it's wrong to have it. It's real to have it. You've never been in water like this. You've never had to do this before. But trust me, I'm good. I have good intentions for you. Do you believe that? You have to make a choice to believe that. And when you do, then it's like, okay, I'm scared, but I'm 49% scared, 51% trust dad. Boom, get in the water. And then it's like, whoa, dad, let's do it again. And I'm not saying with that analogy, all analogies break down just like a truck. But it gets us to where we want to go. <laughs> it, it gets us to where we want to go. I believe that those of us that are doubting right now, God has something for us, and we have to wrestle with it, but eventually we're going to have to crap or get off the pot if we trust him. I wanted to say another word, but I didn't want to get Carter fired. And I don't know how long that is. I don't know how long. There's no specific rule about how much time you can doubt, but eventually, and you're going to know it. You, tonight when we're reflecting, after I pray, you might have to figure out if I've been doubting so long that I just need to make a decision and believe this, whether I feel it or not, and some of you, for the next few years, you might have to wrestle with it. I can't tell you how long it is okay to doubt something, but eventually, God is knocking, saying, I want you to jump, because the pool might close soon. It might already, it is already closed. You're missing out on something, and people are counting on you. The, that picture we shared earlier, my family, my kids are counting on me. If I would have continued 
moving in the direction of those dark thoughts about things that weren't true, that I'm a failure, that I'm no good at this, that God can't use me. I wouldn't be able to help them. At the training school where I believe this is what God's made me to do, I wouldn't be able to do that if I wouldn't have made a decision. And so I'm with you. I feel those of you that are in the seats right now that are wrestling with it, and I'm telling you right now, it's okay to wrestle, but here's what's not okay, to walk away from God and let the doubt drown you up like a field where the crop starts to die. Get a bucket, scoop that water, and dump it on God. He can handle it. Go to a person. Share it. Be open about it. Be honest about it. And I believe your faith is going to be deep as you wrestle with doubt. Let's pray. God, when I was going through this uh, years ago, I remember asking the question, how are you going to use this? I believe that you can use our pain. I don't believe you're doing this to me, God, but I, I remember asking that. What are you going to do with this, this, this depression, this, this doubt, this self-hatred? And here, nine years later, I am, I believe, is a vessel. For maybe it's one person sitting here tonight. So God, I'm, I'm thankful that you use our pain um, you can make something beautiful out of it. And God, so I just pray for the people here tonight that, that don't like what they see in the mirror, that, and they're believing lies. But God, help them to understand that it's a lie, that it's not true. God, I pray for those of us in here that are in a good place, that we know who we are. We're a child of you, that we're a saint, that we are forgiven. For those of us that have that strength, can we carry the burden for those that are walking in the room, or those outside of here probably, in their dorm room or on the hill or wherever, to be reminded that there's a purpose for them, that there's a God who loves them, even if they don't feel it. Help us be middlemen to fight for others. God, I pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to have some reflective time. And I want the question, how satisfied are you with your thought life right now about yourself, like your self-image? Maybe it's really good. Then I'm going to ask you at this time, be a prayer warrior. There's somebody in your dorm room. There's somebody across the hall. There's somebody probably at home, a brother or sister, and they're coveting your prayers. They need you. You might save their life. And if you're not satisfied with those thoughts, tonight you gotta grab one of those bookmarks and you're gonna have to pick one of them. There's, there's all these different verses of, of true things of what God says about you. And you have to pick one of them that you need the most. Like you're desperate for it. You're like, I don't believe that's true, but I need that in order to make it another day. You circle that thing and you put that anywhere you need to. Your car, your dashboard, on the top of a book, in your pocket. And you keep telling yourself that every day, even if you don't feel it. Doubt's a feeling, but hopefully you can make a choice to believe something that you don't feel. And that God will show you who, you who he's made you to be, what he's called you to do. He's got a special plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. Let's enter this time together.